0: Hello, John. Hi, James. How are you going? Yeah, good. James, thank you for agreeing to, to do this interview. What I wanted to discuss today, I mean, a lot has been um, said about sort of when you left the board, but I want to go a bit back because my podcast mm. concentrated on sort of what went wrong in focus. Now, up until the time we bought MCOM, everything was going really, really right. So, what made you decide in the beginning that you thought M two would, would be a good fit for, for Vocus? I mean, you had built the most amazing business, and uh, you you had taken it from next to nothing to a company that was almost worth five billion dollars at its peak, and all of a sudden, we we take over M two, and the demise was fairly rapid. What
1: made you decide? It was really th- sorry. It was really three things. Um, it was uh, cash flow. Uh, synergies and scale. Um, wow. M2, you know, purportedly had really strong cash flow. You know, I think it was in the vicinity of uh, you know seventy million of free cash flow uh, in a year. Um, so that was a goal for us because that helped fund our fiber network, and we could really leverage that uh, and grow the business. And we we're getting incredible, immense returns on our fiber network. Uh, the second one was, um, you know, sort of scale, I guess. Scale brought us, allowed us, in the, would allow us in the future to buy uh, next-gen networks, which was, uh, you know, at the time, incredibly uh, uh, important and cheap deal. When next-gen at the time, I think people thought we overpaid because we paid, I don't know, was it? $870 oh, probably 70 million. $870 million, so probably about 10 times, to- just a bit under 10 times EBITDA or maybe a little over 10 times EBITDA. Um, everyone thought that was expensive at the time, um, but it was half replacement cost. And, you know, in today's environment or, you know, a year ago, uh, that would probably have been trading on, you know, 18 times, you know, 20 times EBIT, EBITDA and, and cost, you know, double what it was. So, you know, the scale that it, that it brought us was good. Uh, and the last one was synergies. You know, we, we did an immense amount of work on synergies and, um, you know, the synergy prize was was pretty enormous. You'll, you'll know the numbers better than I. Uh, and those are the really the three things. Um, what went wrong was the cash flow was not really real. It didn't eventuate. Um, the scale was, and that helped us buy NextGen um and then the the synergies um, weren't real uh, as well so you know synergies and cash flow was really the demise of the deal and they were the kind of the two of the three really important parts for doing the deal
0: so, so if i look back on my time we you know we started this relationship and you worked into you walked into a first meeting with vaughn and you were very effusive in your praise of vaughn i remember you saying that vaughn is one of the nicest guys and he Answered back every email, etc. And Jeff was in the room. And then things started to unravel between you and Jeff. I, I I I remember trying to play peacemaker between the two of you. And I phoned Jeff quite a lot and said, Jeff, well, no, we need to make this right, and you need to phone James. And Jeff was saying, I need James to apologize. And I said, What does James need to apologize for? And I never got an answer. It. Out of Jeff as to what he was yeah. angry with you about, but but he was very angry with you, and I don't know why.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not really sure why. I mean, I think Bond is a great guy. Bond's a, a lovely guy. Um, Jeff, I think the difficulty was Jeff was just totally out of his depth. He was in an industry that it, you know wasn't his industry. Um, he, coupled with the fact I think he didn't really like to hire or hear from people, you know, below him that were smarter than him. So, you know, if you're not from the industry, you have to really hire people. With more experience and, and better than you, below you, and then that's how you you kind of solve solve for that you know long term you know lifelong experience in the industry that that kind of telco requires. So I think he was sort of a little bit out of his depth in a lot of ways, um, and then was really unable to uh, you know allow the decisions to come upwards. You know he he would have to be the decision maker. Uh, it was based on his you know intuition rather than maybe sort of fact base, and I think that was that was probably the problem. Um, maybe that led to to a fall in the relationship because, you know, focus we were kind of all facts based and, you know, we would we would really simply just look at the the facts, irrespective of, you know, whose idea it was or whether it was a good idea or a bad idea, whether it made something look bad or look good. It just didn't matter. You know, we just needed the data and then we would revise our decisions uh, and move on. So, you know, a bit of a bit of a culture clash, I guess. Um, I don't know what specifically it was that that I needed to apologize for um if I make mistakes I'm happy to apologize as you know John yeah and I think what went wrong was just that lack of information I remember you know from really from the first meeting we ever had we, we were asking questions about churn we were asking questions about you know a couple of meetings later why bad debts were creeping up and we never got any answers you know I think in fact I don't think we ever really got answers to any of the the problems within the business I think they sort of they didn't want to admit there were problems there rather than I think us which was like, well let's just give it some some information so we can fix things um, and the information wasn't really coming was it um, but yeah I think that, that relationship I, it wasn't necessarily a personal thing I think Jeff is you know, actually you know, a, a nice human being um, it was just at the time we you know there was something going on where we weren't getting information um, and we, when you don't get information uh, that's a pretty big breakdown especially in a data-driven business as we were
0: and you think it was you think it was deliberate on Jeff's part not to give us the information
1: that was uh, well, that's a that's a good call. I think you know there's there's probably yes and nos to any answer right I think it's completely binary. Um, look there was a lot of stuff that went into the reasons behind the cash flow not materializing. Um, you know there's there's probably quite a lot of window dressing uh, you know as, as the business went into sale you know I think one of the things for example, um, not sure Not sure when or how factual this is, but the business turned all into, turned off um, credit checking of users right around the time that we approached them and then turned the credit checking back on, you know, once the deal was completed. And that led to a huge amount of bad debt and churn coming through the business as these people who, you know, couldn't afford the service, um, you know, ended up defaulting. So, you know, that was a great example. Um, so when we were delving into, you know, churn and why the churn was up and why the bad debt suddenly skyrocketed after this great period of, you know, of, of user growth uh, you know we wouldn't get any data on that now and does someone know that that's happening or does somebody you know irrespective of it or just doesn't think it's important i don't know what the mode is for not getting the data and having people delve into it more but it was probably the most important thing to delve into at the time you know it was it was leading to enormous problems with cash flow and
0: then and then your relationship with born sort of was the salad it's sort of the same time is that over jeff was that just generally
1: yeah, I think one of the great things about the um, the M two uh, team was they they really um, you know they were they were a team you know they so when things started to sour with Jeff when we started sort of poking quite hard at the business you know they sort of grouped together and I think that caused uh, you know a breakdown you know between all of their relationships uh, you know and myself and and potentially others on the board so uh, you know I think they're incredibly loyal to each other uh, and that and that probably soured it um, you know do I think that's a great you know, characteristic to have on a board, Uh, you know, probably not, but, you know, it's a great human characteristic.
0: Yes, uh, yes. And then um, you decided to sort of sell your shares and move on. Why did you decide that that this wasn't a business that you really wanted to be invested in anymore?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the reason I I gave up being, um, you know, CEO was what I thought was critically important was that we retained the chairman role. So that, you know, without the chairman or chairman had casting vote on the board. So you had four and four from each side, the chairman with casting vote. Um, so I thought that was more important than, uh, you know, me being the CEO. Uh, and at the time, you know, I was still a young guy. I was in a growing business. Um, you know, I didn't wear a suit, you know, probably had some some modicum of, of self-doubt or quite a lot of modicum of self-doubt, you know, whereas Jeff, you know, seemed like a, or may have been at the time, a, you know, a, a strong leader, um, so I kind of felt like, well, you know, maybe he'd be better at running a 2000 person organization uh, than me. So it was like, well, you know, maybe I'm not the right guy. Uh, maybe Jeff's a better, uh, and then if Jeff's not, at least we've got chairman and, and we can, we can make changes there, you know, if we need to. So if it had been the reverse, and I stayed on the CEO, um, you know, we, we wouldn't have had that, 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 you know, Supreme sort of get out of jail card uh, with the chairman. So that was kind of how, how it turned out. Um, know why why we ended up so i think between that and you know selling my shares like i was no longer in control of the business you know i was no longer ceo um i just didn't feel like i wanted to have you know large amount of money further invested in the business when you know i wasn't able to you know make the um you know make the decisions and be in control um couple that with sort of you know real, real sort of culture uh, mismatch internally. Um, it, uh, yeah, that was that was kind of the impetus behind um, selling my shares. You know, I think it was after the um, August results, the, the first period um, after our merger. You sort of left the
0: board, and I remember when the first downgrade came out. You you were enormously surprised about how bad it was. That that it was just way worse than we thought. Now you knew what what the, what Vocus had brought to the party. And I guess your surprise surprised at the time was there was nothing coming through from the M2 side of the business on those downgrades.
1: Yeah, I think there was a couple of things. Really. I don't think I was surprised at how bad it was. I, I was surprised that if you're going to do a downgrade, you don't make it, you know, kitchen sink all. Um, and all. And didn't, it didn't feel like that. But it really accounted for a lot of the M2 earnings, you know, not really eventuating, not being there. Um, none of the synergies coming through. Yeah, so I was, I was pretty surprised. Um, but I felt like, well... When you do the numbers hopefully you've left some room to uh, to upgrade later on um, or you've made something that's very achievable and that didn't feel like the, necessarily the case um there but look i think it was it was also a little bit around you know at Vocus we'd kind of taken a lot of our pain early on so when we acquired a business we'd invest in integrating it and integrating it properly um, we spoke to the m2 guys you know the in the due diligence phase and and they believed, and I really fundamentally think they believe this, is that they'd integrated as well. Um, just their version of integration and our version of integration, you know, was was uh, a little bit different, you know, a lot different. Um, so I think that there were some sins of the past that, you know, not like a house of cards. It's probably a bit extreme, but but there were some sins of the past that had to get fixed in the M2 business, um, and and that's really what caused that that first downgrade, I suspect.
0: So when you left the Vocus board and you sort of. And that was your legacy. You built that to a magnificent business and you're watching the demise of Focus. How did it make you feel watching your baby being eroded? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Minute? yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's hard, right? Because it's not necessarily, you know, the business, but it's hard when you see it make the wrong decisions, um, you know, letting go of the, of the great people who built the business, but would also continue to add a vast amount of business there. And, yeah. You know, losing people is okay, but losing them for the wrong reasons. Um, you know, I think in quick succession, we sort of lost Matt Hollis, we lost Chris Deer, um, you know, some of the people I think you, you've interviewed, some of them I haven't listened to yet, um, Denise Hamlin. There's some great people there, but we lost them because, you know, they would tell things as it is and people didn't want to hear that. Um, and so, you know, that caused cultural problems and, and they were let go. So that was probably the hardest thing was to see the really good people that I knew would you know I would never have tolerated losing. you know I would have and and did keep them uh, you know for as long as possible. Um, and then to actually do the reverse and get rid of them was was pretty fundamentally hard to watch. So yeah, I think it was um, more the human side that that made it particularly difficult, uh, you know that that seeing that sort of great culture uh, you know eroded over time. Um, and it really taught me a lot around I think we'd been a culture-led business at the beginning at Vocus. you know we always wanted to have great values. Um, you know, don't screw the customer was one of our values. Um, You know, we just had this uh, great ability to put everyone in the same direction. Uh, And that's that's when you get real leverage. And, you know, I used to say to everyone doesn't make the boat go faster. And I stole it from, I think one of the American Cup design teams out of New Zealand, I forget the guy's name. It used to be written on the back of his wall. And someone would come in and talk about some stuff to the CEO or the guy running the project uh, and he'd just point to it and go, you know, does that make the boat go faster? Um, so, you know, silos and politics and, you know, he said, she said, and all of that sort of stuff would just be met with, that's not making the boat go faster. How do we make the boat go faster? Uh, and I think seeing that culture sort of break down was a real shame. Um,
0: Denise Hendon, in the interview with her, talks about that you always said, does it make the boat go faster? Which is quite interesting. One of the other very interesting episodes that happened to me, and I'm sure you you've heard this many times, is the dinner that I was at with Jack when I mentioned the digital river story.
1: And Jeff, yeah, it not- was a great story, Digital River, by the way. <laughs> I still ask, ask, Mark, ask Mark Simpson because I think he described that as the worst deal uh, in his in his career because there was no warranties, you know, not even warranty of, of how many kilometers or if they even owned that. You know, there was shareholder fighting, but you know, to your credit, John, um, we still did the deal. And I still ask Mark Simpson, you know, is, is that the worst deal you've ever done in your career? Uh, the pause gets a little bit longer nowadays, but he still answers yes. So, uh, it was a, it was a cracking deal
0: but I remember, st- I remember sitting at, at a dinner telling everyone the story of Digital River and how you decided that if you were going to buy yeah. Digital River and you wanted it and went and bought it. And then Jeff lost it with me. Totally started screaming at me about you. Right. Not about Digital River, but about you. And I, I never quite understood the story as to why it was so offensive to Jeff until I did an interview with Christia. And Christia explained to me that M2 had their own fiber network that they never used; they parked it somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. We tried to buy it actually. River. Sorry. Yeah, we tried to buy it. Um, I think both before um, before we bought Digital River, and then after we bought Digital River. Yeah, they had uh, they had probably you know one of the, outside of um, the majors. It was the best fiber the best fiber network in the country, way better than um, than Digital River.
0: And I'm sitting there saying how you took this little business, Digital River, and built it into this massive business. And I never realized that Jeff had a bigger opportunity and just let it go. So I guess me saying how you did so well in this thing was sort of a, a, a red rag to a bull, and he and he took it. And to his credit, he did he
1: did apologize the next day. Oh, that's good. Yeah, look, I think it's just again different cultures, you know. The I think at Vocus we had a celebration of you know of being wrong, you know. It was. Um, you know, it was far better to admit you made a mistake. In fact, we, we used to say at the New Starters, you know, which is push push the limits, you know, make mistakes. Um, we, you know, we actually want you to make mistakes in your role. Um, don't make the same one twice, uh, but, uh, you know, really push yourselves. And so I think we celebrated mistakes because you you learned from it. I remember one time we had a an outage where we took down a couple hundred thousand, you know, retail customers um, in the early days. We took all the internet traffic offline accidentally. Um, you know, one of the engineers, I won't name him, but he knows who he is, uh, accidentally sort of took down the redundant router and then took down the, the one he was gonna work on and didn't realize sort of for half an hour, you know, there was no internet traffic flying across all of all of Locus. And um, in the end, sort of everyone was thinking about how to write the um, the message app to customers as to what happened. And everyone's putting up their hands and saying, oh, you know, it was a Cisco bug, or, you know, it was a denial of service attack or all of these reasons. And, and in the end, I said, guys, let's just tell them the truth. You know, we're not a, we're not an organization that lies to our customers. Let's just put the email text out and the text literally read, you know, you know, on call engineer made a mistake, pulled out the wrong cable. Uh, Apologies for the, uh, for the outage. And the amount of responses we got back to that was incredible. And the responses were a hundred percent, not once a hundred percent, you know, positive saying what an organization that actually tells us the truth. And second was don't fire that guy. You know, he's worth more to you now because he will never make that mistake again. Um, and I think that was the crucial point. Was we were, we were definitely okay with mistakes, and we're definitely okay looking like idiots. Um, you know, I, I did it many a time, and it was just an opportunity to learn. And I, and I think a little bit of the reverse was the, the true uh, was the truth. You know, many of the M two uh, senior guys had to be, um, you know, seen as to be you know perfect and in control and making all the right decisions and. A very, very big difference in in culture. But, you know, I love making mistakes. Um, uh, I think it's the secret to a happy marriage is to admit when you made a mistake to your wife. Uh, And I think it flows into business as well.
0: You know what they say, James? Poverty breeds character, but I think I've got enough character. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But There's a story, there's a true story about a trader who loses, I can't remember the numbers, between 20 and 50 million dollars. And he gets called to the chairman's office, and he packs his bags, and his desk is ready. He's ready to leave the firm on the turn, and everything's packed, and he sits in the chairman's office, and he says to the chairman, look, I'm really sorry, I've lost this amount of money, and I know you're going to fire me, and I'm here, I expect it. And the chairman said to him, I've just invested Fifty million dollars in your education yeah there's no chance yeah. I'm firing you just don't let me invest any more money in your education
1: and that's a yeah I'd love like to see return now yeah huh? exactly right yeah exactly right easy. and I think that's the lesson right is um never be upset by someone else doing something um really clever uh in your own organization right never be jealous of that because uh you know if you're at the top um that success is a reflection of you it was the culture um you know there's there's probably a reason why Many mergers of equals don't work, and that's because you know there's no there's no one clear culture in, in the driving seat, and uh, you know in the end, culture culture is the leverage to success, um, and we learned the hard way that it's the leverage to uh, you know to bad results as well.
0: Celebrating others' people's success never diminishes one's own, and I think that that it's an important lesson for, for as you get older, you sort of learn that their success is, is their success, and it's great, but it's nothing to do with you and it doesn't make you any less of a person, et cetera. And I think if M2 would have adopted that culture with some of our guys, with some of the focus guys, I don't think we would have gone through the absolute pain that we absolutely went through.
1: Yeah, I think success is not a zero-sum game, right? You don't uh, you don't lessen your own pile of success because someone else in the organization has, has some success. And I think that's the, kind of the, the crux of it. Uh, I think there was a desire always you know the more senior you were, the the more decisions you made and the more captain's' calls you made, I guess. Um, and I think that's fundamentally you know a wrong culture as well. Um, if you're the CEO and the people under you don't understand their area better than you, um you've done something completely wrong in terms of the hiring and that cascades through the through the organization. So um, I always said to my only job as CEO was to, um, take the responsibility for what we did not deciding what we do um, you know that should come from other people uh, you know and then the only other thing i had to do was um you know uh, mitigate between two you know conflicts with you know with people who who wanted to do things um you know at the, at the next level down that were different and the way that we solved that was we always had everyone in the room and well, I think one of the greatest things with our culture was you know mark simpson our legal counsel could talk about the financial numbers in a meeting and be heard with the same amount of respect as the CFO talking about the financial numbers. Uh, you know, and, and Mark or the CFO would talk about product decisions and revenue, you know, out of sales um, as much as the sales manager. And I think that was great. Is you know, when you have a team that's aligned, um, the path of least resistance to the right answer is really achieved. And I, I think we were always we always just didn't want to bash our heads against the wall. Um, just. Let's get to the right answer as quickly as humanly possible, um, and uh, and and all back it.
0: One of the things I I saw at Vocus at, during your time at Vocus was there was very little politics, very little politics among staff, very little politics amongst the board. And um, when you left the board, and David Spencer sort of left, the amount of politics involved on the Vocus board
1: was dramatic. Yeah, and I think in big incumbent organisations, the the role at senior management is is as much about politics as it is about, you know, understanding. You know, if you ask a senior manager at, at Telstra or an executive manager, whatever they call it, or Optus or, or, or anywhere, you know, have they been, been in a pit and pulled fibre through it? You know, the answer would be no. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the advantage is when you get people who, and you can get into a size and scale um, that's quite large, um, but people still know exactly what's involved in, you know, in doing the job of, of other people. Um, I was lucky being a founder. You know, I swept the data center floors. You know, when we bought data centers, um, and I did the first billing runs and understood the complexity and hard work that went into those those things. And uh, I think we we respected everyone in the organization. I used to say this, at, at, you know, when we did an acquisition, which is, an organization is like a, a car's engine. No one part is more important than the other. what's important is that it all works together to give you the performance you know if the cheapest part in the engine a spark plug isn't working uh, you know the engine's not going to perform so it you know the gearbox and the and the engine itself is no more important than the, than the cheapest part so it was always about working together um, to get the the best result or to make the you know the boat go fastest and you know I, again I think the, the biggest regret is politics you know crept into that business after the or, or didn't creep in jumped in um with the m2 acquisition and continued after there uh and i think that was um you know a big giant shift for many of the people who worked, there or most of the people who worked there and that's probably the you know the thing i was most disappointed down is letting them down because we had a great place to work um you don't speak to almost anyone who ever worked at focus it was you know one of the best if not the best places to to work and that really changed uh, overnight
0: so James, thank you so much for taking the time, and thank you really for doing this interview. It's been very much appreciated. Um, so thank you for that.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, John. Uh, thanks, everyone's contributed. I haven't caught up on all the episodes, but um, what I have listened to has brought back a lot of uh, a lot of really fun memories. Thank you.